Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail23. Shopify.com slash retail23. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to Roland Garros on day seven of the 2023 French Open, where you find us once again on our lovely little corner of Philippe Chatrier Stadium. Chatrier Stadium, which incidentally right now is enjoying an unexpected men's doubles match. And that is because proceedings finished rather quickly over there for a number of different reasons, all of which will be touched upon on today's show. David, I've just clocked that you've got a tan. Yeah. Uh, who'd have thought it? It's a it's a new thing uh, for pasty white me, but um, yeah, I've managed to get out and about in the sunshine and in between Suzanne Longlen sets of tennis that I've been enjoying today. Yeah, a lot of our fun today has been had on Suzanne Longlen. Matt has has revived his draw day outfit, which received such rave reviews. Similar similar compliments today, Matt. No, actually. <laughs> The, the people are used to it by now and you know it hasn't today hasn't lived up to draw day i would say it's been it's been a oh. little bit of a flat day of tennis it, just look, to get everyone really excited <laughs> for this podcast keep listening folks it's gonna get so good. far we are only halfway through the day yeah look this is part one there'll be a part two later when which hopefully will open on a slightly <laughs> more energetic note but yeah part part one it it's been a, a a bit of a disappointing day. There are highs and there are notable moments, all of which we'll cover to you with as much cover for you with with as much pizzazz as we can possibly muster, which isn't looking great at this moment in time. But <laughs> after after a, a retirement and a double bagel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you think you've had a flat day, Matt? Think of our friend Dave who had tickets on Chatrier today. I, I, I've seen our friend Dave who had tickets on Chatrier, and he was. He was very keen to say, but we're having a lovely time. Yeah, he kept saying, we're having a lovely time <laughs> through gritted teeth. It's so whilst nice also here. saying, uh, yeah. Mm, wasn't great, was it? Yeah. it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even a retirement. It was a walkover. Yeah, didn't look, even didn't even get any tennis in that match. Right, we will get into all of that. Before we do, I want to tell you that this episode and all our episodes of the Tennis Podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in, associ- in association with On Location, on three, everyone, the premium hospitality and experience provider. provider. Thank you very much, David. <laughs> on Location is the official tour operator for the BMP Paribas Open. And they never have flat days. Indian Wells <laughs> in March. And we can tell you that their packages via Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours... <laughs> 
Was that a fanfare? <laughs> well, you know, it's the, it's the on-location <laughs> read. We, we arranged for that. <laughs> we did. Uh, they're now on sale. Da, 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 da. Just had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you would like to go to India Miles in style and experience what genuinely is one of the most spectacular settings in the sport to watch professional tennis. You'll be staying in a four or five star hotel or accommodation, great tickets to watch the tennis, access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches. The thing to do is to go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast, tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section. Now then, on to the reason that things have been a little bit disappointing so far today on Philippe Chatteret and why perhaps the whole day has felt a little flat and that is because we started it with the news that Elena Rabakina had withdrawn from the tournament ahead of her scheduled third round match with Sara Ribes Tormo today having suffered uh, with sickness with, with a virus nothing to do with injury as we've been talking about all the way along she's looked looked in brilliant form such that we felt confident looking ahead to a quarter-final with Ange Jabeur and a potential semi-final with Iga Svantec and with all due respect to Cyrus Ribes Tormo and everybody else in that section of the draw we ain't going to get any of those things now and we're gutted about it yeah I mean that Elena Rybakina could not have looked better on the court in the opening few days of this tournament. She looked as good as at Wimbledon and as at the Australian Open. She looked exactly where she needed to be. She looked like the player that was going to say to Igor Svantec, pick on someone your own size. Who, you know, she's dished out four bagels. Rybakina looked like she was the player who was going to just take her into the waters that you want to see the top players in where it's uncomfortable, where it's two players dishing it out and taking it. And unfortunately, she's really unwell, and, and it sounds like she's had a terrible day or two. Um, I, I wasn't in the press conference because it was called at very short notice this morning, but you know, she's had a respiratory problem. She sounds like she's just really quite ill. Terrible mm. shame. Yeah, someone asked me whether she'd been eating the same escargot as Jessica Pagula, but it, it, it does sound does sound different to that and just gutted gutted for her gutted for us because as you say I was mostly gutted for us (laughs) I was looking forward to those potential matches in in the second week you know I think one of the things about not having a top player be upset in in the first few rounds is that it means you get to look forward to that second week and we've lost Elena Rabatkina we've not even had the sort of you know the fun upset she's just unfortunately had to withdraw from the tournament it feels like such a shame that her exit has been in that manner Uh, and you know I was so excited to see what she could do on this surface against Lons Jabeur absolutely but also against Igor Svantec you know they met in they met in Rome and that match was cut short when Igor Svantec had to retire midway through it it just just feels like we've been a little bit short change from this clay court season in terms of Rebecca versus those other top players. You know, I, I feel like we're due one of those matches, and we just we just haven't quite had it, and it's it's a shame. Yeah, and the Rebecca Shontek rivalry in particular, and whether Rebecca has Shontek's number mm. on Shontek's favourite surface, we, 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 don't we don't know, know. the answer. And to now that, it's another year to find out. Yeah, it's, it's really annoying. I mean, I'm sure this time next year we'll be 
anticipating that like we are Alcaraz Djokovic this year which is going to happen folks we're now only two rounds away it better um, but yeah it's it's it is tremendously disappointing it did feel like a real kick in the teeth this morning but we've picked ourselves up we've had lunch with Billie Jean King and we've come in sorry what and forced ourselves <laughs> to go to Suzanne Longlen to watch a 19 year old against a 16 year old so you know, we've managed to make something of, of the day, folks. And we did have a, a fantastic time out there. Coco Goff beating Mira Andreva 6-7, 6-1, 1 Now, David and I saw the two 6-1 sets, so we can comment on all of that. Matt is the only one of us that saw most of the 7-6 set, which which Mira Andreva won. It's interesting, just now in, in press, Coco Goff said, even though I lost it at the end of that first set, I felt like I'd won it. Like she wasn't, she wasn't down on herself. She felt like I'm playing great tennis. I'm in control of this match, even though the scoreboard doesn't say that. Mm. That's that's very interesting. That that probably wasn't my read on the match when when it was happening. You know, it was a absorbing first set. Like I was really really into it, and it was definitely the best set of the match. It was one of those where the player with the lead was really struggling. You know, they kept breaking each other, the momentum kept shifting, and I think when a match is like that, I think that's a sign that it's, it's, it's a little tight. You know, n- neither of them felt totally at ease, but Andreva felt kind of more at ease, I would say, out of the two of them in that first set. She felt the more secure. Um, but ultimately, I think what we saw today was probably why Coco Goff has been so far ahead of her age category, I would say, generally, because in sets two and three, we saw Andreva being a 16-year-old, <laughs> being a bit diva, to use the words that she said in the press conference the other day. And it struck me that Coco Goff has, has never really been like that. Her, her maturity has always been, I think, one of her biggest strengths. And she's... She's always got the absolute most out of her game. Like, I don't, re- I don't necessarily think Coco Goff has got the fifth or sixth, whatever she is ranked now, best game on the WTA Tour. We've talked about the floor with the, with the forehand and, and the serve a little bit as well. But she's able to get so much out of it because of the way she competes and because of the, you know, her, her other strengths as well. And I feel like Mira Andreva in a way feels like a a more maybe complete player than Coco Goff was a few years ago but she doesn't yet have Goff's incredible attitude on court and tenacity and it's much more normal to be like Andreva like it was kind of reassuring in a way that that she was as she was out there and I'm talking about you know just sort of a, a little bit of petulance and swiping the ball away there was an incident in the first set I think she got very, very lucky not to be defaulted. She swiped the ball away in anger and it went straight into the crowd. And it was one of those where it, it happened before it had a time to really process it. It was so quick. But suddenly I thought, wow, that really could have hurt someone. She really, she really could have been in trouble there. She, impressed, called it stupid and recognised that she'd made a mistake. But she sort of kept, kept doing it a little bit throughout the match. Not in a dangerous way, but just swiping the ball away. Just, just not just not having the best attitude out there totally understandable as a 16 year old but 
comparing the two, it made me think, wow, Coco Goff has, has always been ahead of her years in that respect. And I think it was a, a really, really good performance from her in the end and a, and, and, a, and a really big win. I think that would have felt good. When Goff referenced that at the end of the first set, although she'd lost it, she felt like she'd kind of won it, she referenced the body language of Andreva at that point right. and the code violation. She, I think she thought, oh, if I stick around here, I've got, her. I've got it, I've got her, because she recognised it. She, and, and she was asked at one point in the press conference, how aware are you of your opponent's body language generally? And she said, absolutely. If, if they're down on themselves... I'm, I'm going to use that. I see that as a positive. And Catherine actually asked her about... Um I asked her about exactly the point that, that Matt just made, um, about the fact that she's never behaved like that on court, despite you know being a teenager throughout the entire time that we've known her. You know, Seeing today how, how a normal teenager can very understandably behave on a tennis court you know you've never behaved like that and she she said oh well I, I did break a racket in a French Open final here I don't know if you missed that but uh but I did and she said I got fined for that I got fined seven thousand dollars and I decided after oh yeah that, I don't, quarter I, final I don't want, wasn't I don't, it from about three years ago I think she was referencing yeah, yeah I mean it was um yeah she was she was very keen to sort of not have anybody fall on Andreva stick up for mm. her wasn't she yeah Absolutely, she 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 wanted she wanted to answer honestly about yeah. I did notice that she was stomping around like you know like like Catherine Whitaker age sixteen, <laughs> um, and yeah, that must be a massive boost when you've just lost a set and yet you can see that your opponent is the one having a having seemingly a bit of a, a petulant meltdown. Of course, that must be a massive massive boost but she was very keen to say that in a way that didn't give any fuel to being hard on Andreva um, but kind you're right that that by doing that she kind of um, was over modest I think in terms of what Matt was just praising her for because yeah she's broken rackets and shown frustration but I don't think she's ever shown sort of neg- generalised negativity the way Andreva did today I mean I, I find it totally understandable and I'm quite sure she'll grow out of it. I mean, she literally did just turn 16, but it it was amusingly bad body language, wasn't it? It was making us chuckle yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, as as a parent, I'm sort of fairly familiar <laughs> with, with some of the uh, the body language that was going on there and it was it's endearing, really. Uh, and, and also, I, I can't help thinking it fed into her poor shot selection and her, her tactics which really made no sense you know. it, it, it was an it was a naive I, I'm interested in whether this was the case in set one Matt because in set two and three it, it seemed incredibly naive tactically from from Andreva she, she wasn't targeting the golf forehand at all um, and I know the golf forehand has been pretty okay decent even this tournament but it's still the wing to target I mean she allowed golf to just put on a, a backhand exhibition didn't she which we all enjoyed mm. but led to 6-1 6-1 in the second and third sets yeah and there definitely was a shift I think she played much smarter tactically in in the first set I think she noticed that Goff couldn't really hurt her with the forehand quite so much she was doing quite a lot of moon balls 
quite a lot of loopy shots just to reset rallies and I think exactly as you said this this attitude just ended up sort of taking her away from that and she started being a bit more impatient and going for shots that weren't on quite so much and also I think I think Andreva prefers her own backhand to forehand so I don't think she was that comfortable even if it necessarily was the right play I don't think she necessarily wanted a lot of forehand to forehand rallies with golf because her backhand is better than her own forehand so she maybe thought okay I'll take I'll take off on at the backhand but that was the wrong play she had it definitely more correct in the first set and yeah I mean Goff just going back to that point in terms of Goff how how she's always been on court her demeanour I've se- I've definitely seen Goff get down on court but it's always been it's always felt sort of down on herself and maybe like a slightly overly harsh self-assessment of how she's playing it's never felt petulant it's never felt just sort of oh it's all going wrong the world's against me sort of thing and I, I that was that was more the vibe from Andreva today it was a, it was a different it was a different energy to the negative energy that the Goff might have shown in the past it's Anna Karolina Schmiedlever next for Coco Goff who was a straight sets winner today over Kayla Day 6-1 6-3 while we were watching Goff and Andreva Shantek was not giving us a chance to catch any of her match because she won love and love over Wong Jin Yu on Chatrier today. Iga's bakery is back open and she would wince at me saying that because she was asked a question about the bakery, you know, the ongoing gag of Iga dishing out bagels and breadsticks left, right and centre and she did not enjoy it, did she? I mean, she's sort of rejected that joke in the past and it was a very firm rejection of it today yeah because i think she she sees herself as a professional she sees herself as a good sports person and she doesn't want her opponents to feel laughed at dis disrespected and i mean look i honestly when i walked into the press conference it did occur to me to ask her a question as to whether she ever feels remotely awkward about beating a player six love six love which she's done i think a few times now i mean she's won four out of her six sets this week six love like two of them were close six four six four but that's an extraordinary ratio of six love sets and i ended up not asking that question because i thought it doesn't feel quite fair really in this certainly in this environment because what she's supposed to say if she says no, I don't feel at all awkward about it, and that's exactly what I do. It makes her sound heartless, and if she does, then it feels a bit like false modesty, and, and I feel her job is to win 6-love, six 6-love. Six it's every player's job to win like that, and she's really efficient at it, really good at it, and good for her, you know? And, and look, the bakery thing, is it is fun and games. We, we tweet about it sometimes, and I, I enjoy the reference, but, um, but I, get, I get why she wouldn't want to engage with that idea. What was much more interesting from her press comments was hearing her analyse the the route she's been on in answer to your question regarding how she felt after the Australian Open and how she'd been playing at that time not to lose. And, and Catherine put that to her and wanted to know what had changed and how that had changed. And, and she gave a really fascinating insight to what it's like being as I guess well known as she is being number one for the first time coming into a season having having a, an off an off season where she sort of 
went out into the world a little bit and exposed herself to to people, which you you want to be able to do. But I think she felt probably a bit watched, a bit. Uh, well, she mentioned pressure several times, and 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 she definitely started going through thought processes that she just wouldn't if she's in the best frame of mind and if she's maybe in her bubble. She clearly needs to be in that environment where there aren't loads and loads of voices coming up to her telling her what's going on on the internet um, and, and how people are talking about her. And I think, I think that was a really interesting insight and it shows the challenges of being a world number one um, but also how she's managed to, to cope with it. Yeah, and how it, it strikes me that what she's describing in terms of her coping mechanisms are existing totally in a bubble, a bubble that does not resemble reality at all. What she described there was kind of re-immersing herself in the world at the end of her most successful season on tour and freaking out a bit about it. And she even said, I'm, I'm going to have to look at my off-season this year and see if I don't do something a bit differently because I, I don't want that to happen again. And look, she's a professional tennis player. Her job is to be as good at that as possible and she's do, doing that better than anyone else in the world. So I'm not criticising, but it it is a very particular way of doing things, you know, in contrast to Coco Goff, who is a less successful tennis player, but she's very much existing in this world, isn't she, and processing things and feeling her feelings. I feel like Shontek is blocking everything out in a tunnel-visioned way, and it is working, it's successful. I have question marks about the sustainability and the long-term healthiness of that from a psychological perspective, but only time will tell. Yeah, uh, and and I and I, I it is understandable, and and I think for Coco Golf, existing in the United States, such a bigger environment, you can be a little more anonymous. You can, she's got a, a, a big family around her, and, and and that sort of thing. So maybe maybe it's a little easier than than perhaps what is more like a goldfish bowl, because Świątek is so popular in Poland and so loved and and people want to let her know and and i get that but it's it's a lot it's personality types as well isn't it i mean and again it's extremely early days but carlos alcaraz doesn't seem to be burdened by any of that at all does he you know as we described comfortable there's no room he's not comfortable in but shrontek is just a, a different different personality type and that's that's fine she's managing it in a way that as i say working for her right now i just do i worry do worry a bit about yeah. the medium to, to long term with, with that approach. Would you like news on who Iga Świątek plays in round four? Yes, please. It's not Bianca Andreescu. Oh. Can I blame our mate Dave for this? Yeah, please because, do. Blame something. Because, as we've discussed, he had Shatray tickets today and the matches were not very good or very long and we sent him over to Simone Mathieu to go and watch Bianca Andreescu versus Esja Sharenko. We thought that'll be a that'll be a fun time. Andreescu's always always a fun time. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly our plan was record this this pod and then head to because we're halfway to, to Simon Mature in our recording position here with, with the band accompanying us. That was unplanned but delightful. Uh, our plan was then to 
Bob off to Simone Mathieu and catch the remaining thrilling chapters of the match. Well, there was about one chapter of the match by the looks of things, and it was Andrescu being pummeled by Lesia Sharenko. Uh, 6-1, 6-1. Uh, so that's a thing that happened. Yeah. Can't tell you too much about the match because we've been talking on here. Um, but, I mean, well, from the very start, you just saw this scoreline ebbing away and, and thought maybe something similar happened to what happened with Azarenka when she mounted a fight back from 6-2, 3-1 down. But, yeah, I mean, Sarenka's a very good player. She's having a, a, a decent year, but still, that that doesn't sound good on paper, does it? If you can Does sound not good on paper. sound good <laughs> on paper, <laughs> not at all. Uh, still to play today on Shabur, so we'll bring you news of how she fares later on. Uh, Saris Ribes Tormo, of course, got through by virtue of Rabakina's walkover. Uh, we'll play Beatrice Haddad Meyer in round four, and that was probably the match of the day, Haddad Meyer's against Alexandrova. And a big moment for Haddad Meyer because she's had. A lot of good results on the tour over the last year or so, but tell me about it. As David will know, has had a real block at the Slams, and this is now a breakthrough. And I, um, I ran into Natalie Gedra of Brazilian TV, who uh, we mentioned a few days ago on the on the podcast, and she had just interviewed Haddad Meyer after this match, and just said how pleased Haddad Meyer was finally to have overcome this hurdle of never re- reaching the second week of a slam because, yeah, it had been a mental block and she got really, really tight in the closing stages today trying to serve it out. I think, I think she had to save a, save a match point as well, but to just come through that against Alexandrova is a big, big moment and as, as we've discussed, that that section of the draw has opened up because of Rabatkina going out. So it's now a it's now a massive opportunity for Haddad Meyer not only to reach the second week of a slam as she's done, but actually push on and you know maybe go really really deep here. Mm, yeah, it, great result for her. I'm I'm, I'm pleased pleased for her. Um, some more bummer news. <laughs> we ready for it? Yes, although I, I do feel bad because I I started this podcast by saying it's it's been a bit of a dud of a day, and then you casually dropped in that we had lunch with Billie Jean King, and that sounds like I've had a I've had a bad day, which has included lunch with Billie Jean King. I was talking strictly about the tennis, in case in case that wasn't clear to anyone. <laughs> sure. Sure, Matt. Point made. Uh, The bummer I was referring to is the defeat of Taylor Fritz in four sets to Francisco Sarandolo. 3-6, 6-3, 6-4, 7-5 for Sarandolo, who's put together a a fantastic clay court season. It has has to be said. He deserves a lot of credit and he's just just difficult to beat, Sarandolo, isn't he? You need to get out there and you need to beat him. There's plenty of levels with... Uh, plenty of players with a top level that's higher than his but you need to hit them and didn't see all of this match saw quite a lot of the first set actually that Taylor Fritz won but you know I don't think he was able to hit that top level enough of the time despite the perfect reception he received onto court what what better boost could there be to your to your hopes of success than being booed onto the Suzanne Longlen court 
two days after being oh. shushed by the player and the player coming out with his sort of v-sign very coolly in response to it i mean it was it was fantastic and look if if i would understand it if people were thinking well what about poor old sarundalo as Catherine's so so generously talked about how well he's played and obviously sarenko who's had a fantastic winners into the second week in fritz's case i just wanted to see more more shushing and more engagement with the crowd. So the longer he stayed in the tournament, the more chance of that happening. And with Andrescu, she's just so much fun to watch. And you know how good she can be, Grand Slam champion. Fact is, they those are dif- disappointing defeats for both of those two players, even as well as they will no doubt have played. Yeah, it just feels like some some fun has gone today. Right, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I look, I... I don't know whether I would expect Taylor Fritz to beat Sarundalo on clay over five sets. I mean, probably not, to be honest. Like, that, to me, was kind of a coin flip match, really. Uh, it, does, it does continue this trend of Taylor Fritz not having the best slam results. I think it's first round at the US Open last year, second round in Australia, now third round here. So maybe he's getting closer or... Maybe he keeps losing in the first week, and he's got. I think he's ambitious, isn't he? I think he so will he wants expect, to reach a final this well, year. He will expect a lot more from himself than that. I don't know about Clay. More I, than Yannick Sinner expects from himself, anyway. <laughs> right? Yeah, he uh, he just wants to reach Turin. Uh, but I guess Fritz probably will be targeting the grass and the U.S. Open. That they, they feel like the slams where he he could reach a final if he if he plays really really well. I wouldn't be predicting it at this stage. It feels like he's got he's got to get a lot better in these slams. But that's that's a tough match against Sarundalo, who has racked up so many wins on clay, big good wins as well. And yeah, he, uh, he he's, he's a dangerous opponent for Runa in the next round, I would say. Yeah, Runa today, uh, having had a a walkover in his previous round, was supposed to play Gael Monfils, was efficient. Uh, six four, six one, six three for him on what ended up being the first match of the day in Chatry against Gennaro Olivieri. Uh, we asked Dave for a review of this match, <laughs> our friend Dave, uh, who we should probably pay some sort of consultancy fee uh, for today's pod. Hell and he said it. it was the first time he'd watched Runa play, and he was very, very impressed by him. Um, you know, as you'd be expect, as you'd expect from a, a victory that comfortable. But you know, see our our preview podcast about Runa. We thought he needed to be efficient in these early rounds. I know he dropped, dropped a set to Christopher Eubanks, which doesn't scream efficiency. But since then, he has knuckled down and he's keeping, I think, some gas in the tank, which he, as you say, Matt, might need in the next round. Yeah, well, he had a very a kind walkover in the second round. I, I feel like he's into week two, and I've I've barely noticed, you know. And that, as you said, exactly what he needed. He did feel with a tough draw. I think he was susceptible to getting dragged into long matches that would then cost him in the second week. But yeah, he, he should have enough in the tank. And something I learned today about Hogaruna, and I think I think you will love this, Catherine, in terms of keeping energy in the tank. He says he likes to sleep for 9 to 13 hours per day. 
No, he wasn't saying he wasn't saying he has thirteen hours sleeps, but he he says that he will sleep and he will take advantage of naps. And he says when I'm awake, I'm very awake. But if I'd rather be asleep than just sort of resting, because he thinks sleep is the best recovery. What's the? I mean, I mean scientifically, it is indeed. Yeah. I, I met someone the other day who sleeps for 10 hours, an, an adult, an adult human, who sleeps for 10 hours every single night. Which, look, is obviously the dream, but there's stuff to do. <laughs> That's what I always talk about, isn't it? <laughs> How do you get I anything got time done? for this sleep nonsense. <laughs> so much stuff to be done. Um, we also have Casper Rude and Nicholas Jarry having set up a fourth round meeting today. Matt has been high on Nicholas Jarry all tournament. Tell us why, Matt. Why did you see this run coming and does he have a chance against Casper Rude? Well, he's won two titles on clay this year and he came into the tournament having just won one of those in Geneva where he beat a host of great players you know Zverev Rude and it sometimes feels foolish to pick pick the guy who's just won a title to then go on and replicate that at the slam how many times have we seen the opposite happen but he's a very very good clay court player and I felt like he was just in a section of the draw where it could open up and I think Tommy Paul was his first seed and Paul, in my mind, should be good on clay. He, he, he grew up on, on the surface, even though it was in America. He, he sort of honed his game on clay and therefore has quite a complete game. But Paul, Paul has had some horrible results on clay over the last few weeks and months and just thought Jerry would, would take advantage of that, and he did. He beat Marcus Garon today in, in four sets. And he's just, he's just got a, a massive serve a big heavy forehand and I think he's loving these hot fast conditions I think the titles that he's won this year have been at a bit more altitude I mean in uh, in Chile earlier in the year and Geneva is is not at sea level like like we are here so I think it will be different when he plays Casper Ruud in, in a couple of days time I think the conditions here will suit Ruud a bit more than they did in Geneva but he's tough, Nicholas Jarry, and having come this far, <laughs> I would really like him to get to the quarterfinals because then I get points. Otherwise, <laughs> he might as well have gone out in the first round. Matt's, um, Matt's pushing of the Nicholas Jarry hype train led you, David, to go to his press conference earlier. We had a we had a message in the WhatsApp group saying, "I've just had a lovely chat with Nicholas Jarry." <laughs> yes, I was one of two English-speaking journalists in his press conference, and. And I, th- I thought, I, you know, I feel like I know so little about this guy. I, I just want to get a feel for what he's like. And, I mean, for a start, he's six foot six. He is a strapping lad. You know, you, th- you said he's, he's had a really good clay court season. Doesn't really automatically make me think of somebody of that height. But he's clearly very capable on the surface. And he's very serious. That's how he comes across. Very considered. Um, and he answers questions at quite some length, gives them a lot of thought. Um, and I think one of the main things I wanted to, to find out is how he'd got from where he was to where he is. The fact that he's now into a second wave of a Grand Slam. And, and he said, you know, I've been trying to do this for years. I've been trying to get to this, to make this step. And I was curious as to what's changed. And he said, it's, it's mental. 
it's not my game my game is the same it's all mental and I, I asked him well well what's changed and what did you do and he said well I've I've, I've worked a lot with a psychologist to just not get upset to just not throw my racket all the time and be emotional on the court because I realised that uh, you know I was wasting all this energy and I was beating myself I suppose is what he was getting at and now he says it doesn't matter what happens on the court now I stay calm and even if it's not going my way I stay calm I try that's what I'm trying to do and uh, it's working I mean you know he's he, he played and beat Kasper Ruud recently in Geneva and uh, it was put to him that you know you knocked him off that, that Ruud had said he'd knocked him off the court that's what Ruud said in his press conference earlier today um, and I, I must admit I didn't watch the match myself but that's that's quite a statement from somebody of Kasper Ruud's clay court pedigree um, and, it, and he just said I've, I've got to be able to play that game and not allow him to play his game if he plays his game and he gets it on his forehand I'm going to be in trouble so it sounds like it's going to be first strike tennis stuff it's like Nicholas Jarry relived <laughs> I really enjoyed meeting him <laughs> or, or lived for David <laughs> yeah <laughs> There was no, there was nothing to redo. <laughs> yeah, I do think this is the, the first time we've gone big on Nicholas Jarry on on this show, but probably not the last. If Matt's Matt's hype is anything well, to I'm go by, I'm looking forward to really watching a match of his against Rude, you know, and seeing seeing all what he said in action. Uh, that is it in terms of results that we had in so far today. As I say, Matt and I will be back later. David might join us, uh, depending on what his status is, because David is down to commentate on tonight's Chatteray night session match between Francis Tiafo and Alexander Zverev. So just in case we don't have you later, David, let's cover off tomorrow's order of play now while we have... Uh, while we have a full complement of tennis podcasters because we start on Chatteray with Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova who's having a run here just out of nowhere. She lost love and love in Rome, didn't she? To, I mean, to Iga Svantec, so it, it happens. I mean, it quite literally happened today, but... Wow, I mean, just Great finding story. form out of out of nothing. Yeah, another another good name to have in the draw. I think we mentioned that yesterday in terms of players like Svitolina and Kasatkina and Mukova. You know, having Pavlyuchenkova, former finalist here, she gave a really interesting press conference earlier on in the tournament when she was talking about you know the injuries that she's had and the and the recovery she's had to make and how she was told that. She wasn't even allowed to go on the court and sit down on a chair and hit balls because her doctor knew that if she, as soon as she started doing that, she'd want to get up and start playing, and that wouldn't be right for a recovery. So she, she literally had to just take proper time off, not, not doing anything. And she said you know, she was kind of out of shape, and she's had to work so hard to get back into shape. And... Here she is thriving again at Roland Garros. I think she's won... I think she might have won like 10 of her last 11 matches at this tournament. You know, the one loss being the final. She's, she's, she understands how to play here, mm. I think. And it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an underrated story, I think, so far, that, that she's, as you said, so quickly seems to have rediscovered form from just a few weeks ago. But, hey, good players can lose love and love for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elisa Mertens... Uh, is first up for her on the Chateau Court tomorrow. Then it is Novak Djokovic against JP Varias. 
two days ago I found out what the JP stood for, so I'm fully versed on on Varias, should there be a massive upset tomorrow. And what is it? Juan Pablo. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Uh, then it is Carlos Alcaraz against Lorenzo Massetti, the final day session match, which means... Ba, 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 ba. We have women in the night session. Sloane Stevens against Arena Sabalenka. Which we're pleased about, but we don't want to sort of, you know, heap praise on anyone for putting one women's match in the night no, session well, and it also gives us it gives us a certain amount of anxiety yeah it? I mean uh, f- about time for a start and let's not make that the last one um, but, but you're right that I, I'm already getting inundated by the people saying right you got what you want they better be good you know and it's like well why are we saying that why do these two women now have to produce the greatest match of all time to justify their position as the night session match at the French Open it is another match they should be all getting matches and, and they should have if, if you can't let them play the same number of sets as the men then there should be another match scheduled after them to give whatever value ticket players expect to get in terms of sheer number of sets and to ensure against a an emphatic display by one player who shouldn't be criticised and penalised because she happens to be bloody brilliant like Igor Fiante. She should be allowed to win six love, six love, and be praised for it without people saying, "I want my money back." Mm. And why are these women Dave. allowed to play? You know, <laughs> schedule things so that that doesn't happen. Text just in from Dave, by the way, who says, "Just realised we saw three matches, and in seven sets, the winners lost ten games in total." <laughs> but he's, he's, he's added a, it up. He's had a lovely day. No, I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> More time in the bar. <laughs> Um, Longlen is Hashanov against Sonigo and then Mukova against Avanisian and then Suisalina Kazakina third on there followed by Ofner Sitsipas we're at that stage of the tournament where suddenly suddenly there's only two courts with singles matches on and it's all just happening too quickly you go from oh my god I haven't got enough eyeballs or enough attention span to where are all the matches within the space of about 12 hours and it's whiplash why can I only walk Sebastian off now <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there will be a portion of tomorrow Matt where if you want to watch singles it will probably involve Sebastian Offner I would, I would deal with that now it'll be my Nicholas Jarry moment where I get to discover another new player <laughs> now we will be back with part two again for you in a matter of mere moments for us in a few hours time just before I let you go David seeing as we have a couple of minutes well I'm, I'm telling you we have a couple of minutes we're kind of at the halfway stage now aren't we would anybody if given the opportunity at no cost change their pre-tournament predictions to win the title yeah I certainly wouldn't on the women's side I said Igor Fiontech at the outset I still feel that um, I am fairly on the fence about Alcraft and uh, Djokovic I do I, I do think that that just could go either way and I don't feel massively strongly either way, but I would still go Alcaraz. And you still feel confident Djokovic Alcaraz is happening? Yeah, I am. I mean, I do. I do think Sitsipas is playing well enough to 
to maybe cause Alcaraz some problems. He's a good enough clay quarter, and it will depend what which Alcaraz turns up because if he's at his absolute peak, even best Sitsipas won't live with it, is my prediction. So I do think we'll end up with Djokovic Alcaraz. I do think so, and mm. and then I would just about go Alcaraz. But it, you know, Djokovic is so bloody good at this. <laughs> From those that are left, I mean, everybody seems pretty sure about sort of three you know one name in the women's in terms of who's reaching the final from the top half and two names in the men either Djokovic or Alcaraz from the open halves of the two draws who do we see reaching the final at this stage I'm sticking with Runa yeah I had Runa I had Sabalenka which she's still in so I will I will stick with that I, I do think the night session scheduling there might help Stevens generally a bit slower uh, I think Sabalenka in hot, quick day conditions might have might have fancied that, but I think that's a really tough match against Stevens at night. Uh, but if she can get through that, I would feel pretty confident about Sabalenka. And yeah, the men's I had I had Runa, so I'll I'll, I'll stick with that. And honestly, I maybe feel more confident given given who's gone out. You know, I thought he might have to beat. Uh, Medvedev or Sinner whereas I think I think Runa versus the winner of Jarry uh, Rude I don't know maybe the finalists could come from could come from that match so I've Matt sort of predicted sort because of Jarry predicted, the final did, did you hear that David? sort of predicted everybody <laughs> well he, he also sort of predicted is Nicholas Jarry in your mix? no no <laughs> is he in your final mix? Would you be surprised yes, if Nicholas Jarry reached the final? I think I would still be surprised, but don't, don't rule it out, is all I'm saying. <laughs> is Nicholas Jarry going to be in the title to this podcast, as, the Nicholas Jarry pod? As Mira Andreeva said wisely at uh, 16 years old today, the future is the future, so I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> that, that is going to be my answer now to any time you say What's your prediction? The future is the future. I cannot say what's going to happen. And it applies to part two of the pod. We'll be back in a moment. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail23. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? 
You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Well, it's about five hours later. It's half past midnight and we're back. Myself and Matt, we're one man down. David is still in the commentary booth, having just wrapped up coverage on BBC Radio of Alexander Zverev's four-set victory over Francis Tiafo. And frankly, Matt, we shouldn't be here recording this yet because Francis Tiafo really should have taken that into a fifth set. Who knows what, it, what would have happened in the fifth but he should have taken it into mm. a fifth, shouldn't he? So many chances. Uh, just that he failed to convert, really. Uh, Zverev is playing a lot better than I think I had realised. Certainly he's improved as this year has gone on, as he's as he's made his comeback. He looks physically a lot stronger than he did at the start of the season and... His forehand is holding up pretty well. His backhand is still extremely dangerous. He's he's playing like a top player again. But yeah, Tiafo had his chances and it just feels like he still is he's still in that category of being a fun showtime player who is is getting better at big moments and big matches and I do trust him more than I used to but there's still something missing that is stopping him I think taking him to that absolute next level and making him like a consistent top 10 player who who wins these sorts of matches and goes really deep in slams and he's done it once at the US Open but yeah a, a, a fun match but TFO I think will have regrets Wimbledon in the US Open the next two slams interesting for Tiafo, potentially defining for him at this sort of pivot point in his mm. career I think Gr- grass I think suits him but maybe Wimbledon doesn't which is an sort interesting of the atmosphere one of it all and yeah yeah he, he wants it loud yeah exactly yeah. and Wimbledon want everything quiet and mm. polite don't yeah. they I mean I th- in his post-match interviews, Verev made quite a good analysis, I felt, there, that he's sort of trying to make the match... He didn't use these words, but kind of as dull as possible when he plays Tiafo. whereas Tiafo's trying to make it as entertaining and as fun as possible. And, yeah, the US Open suits him, for sure. And I remember last year when, when he said, uh, I'm going to come back and win this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll hold you to that, Francis. (laughs) Verbal contract. Um, So we're watching Alexander Zverev be interviewed on Prime Video. If he hadn't won that match, he would have dropped outside the world's top 50. He now faces, in the fourth round, Grigor Dimitrov. You heard me, Grigor Dimitrov. (laughs) In the single-handed backhand off, he was uh, by by far the winner. Three straight sets for him over the conqueror of Yannick Sinner, Daniel Altmaier, who was unable to back up the win. And it was 
the remains of Daniel Altmaier. I think so, yeah. Given given how one-sided that score was for Grigor Dimitrov. Look, I know, I know we really need David here for this discussion because... I'm a bit over being sucked in by Grigor Dimitrov <laughs> and rumours of this being a revived or new Grigor Dimitrov, but I hope it's true. I hope that is the case. I think we'll really find out when he faces Verev. He doesn't have a good head-to-head against no, Verev. No, it up 3-1, isn't it, in, in, mm. in Zverev's favour, and Dimitrov's lone victory came almost 10 years ago. I mean, it's, it's staggering to think that Zverev and Dimitrov could have played that long ago, but it was 2014 when when Dimitrov did get his win. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in, in his Lacoste kit. He seems to be doing well in it. He's in, in his, his French era. Right. And sort of, he sort of seems to be playing with with the swagger and the confidence of someone who's believed in him I don't mm. know and I don't know whether I'm reading too much into that but I don't know I can I can imagine that you're referring to David right <laughs> David and Rene Lacoste <laughs> <laughs> I can just sort of imagine a new fit a new look just might oh you come. genuinely think this is a Lacoste but are you making a play for some Lacoste here Matt because <laughs> always I don't know if you remember but Wilson are your sponsor oh yeah that's true <laughs> Sorry, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wilson, but Matt will accept free kit from, from anyone that's offering. Yeah, literally. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like there's a confidence to Grigor Dimitrov. I think he's put in a lot of work this year with Jamie Delgado. And he, there's just this sort of slightly new man feel to him. You know, mm. as you said, I think we're all a bit wary of saying that because we've definitely been here before with Grigor Dimitrov. But honestly, I think you could say the same for literally anyone in that bottom half of the draw. Mm. They're all thrilled to be there <laughs> because they've all got it. Honestly, it feels like they've all it got is, a chance. It's of, the place of to going be. Deep. That is where the parties are, right. isn't it? Um, it was the top half of the women's draw today. Anstruber is still in it. Just. She was a set down to Olga Danilovic of Serbia, 22 years old. She's been a a much touted talent, I think, for a while since since it emerged that Novak Djokovic was her mentor as a as a kid, and he certainly sort of uh, promoted her her talent over the years. And she really is a talent. There are some there are some weak spots in her game, but the strengths are extremely strong uh and she's a fierce competitor she made a big old play for the intensity list <laughs> while uh while matt when, matt and i were watching her out on on long then today and yeah she was a set down in that second set she retrieved the break she made it nip and tuck but eventually it was some inspiration from Onstrebur on particularly on the forehand side that sealed her that second set um and then she she grew stronger in the third, did Jabir, which looked so improbable towards the end of that second set because she looked like she was running on fumes. Yeah, and an explanation for that in her press conference, the first uh, question, I think, came from from the moderator, as it often does, and sort of talk about the match and how you were feeling. And, and she said, well, let's just say that 
being a woman is hard sometimes and a man won't know what I was experiencing today and you know just she elaborated on it a bit later in the press conference and said yeah that time of the month and she looked exhausted Mm. I was I was you know even when she had that inspirational surge on the forehand to win the second set I wondered how sustainable it would Mm. be because she looked yeah physically kind of spent so incredibly impressive that she then did manage to keep it going in the third set and it was it was a very fun atmosphere on long then it was by no means full it was late in the day there'd been a lot of tennis but a you know a decent crowd had stuck around and those who had stuck around were very prepared to make a lot of noise and there was this incredible scene to our left of the um Onsjabur player box and directly behind literally the row behind the sort of Olga Danilovic Serbian fan club and then right behind them some more Tunisian fans they were sort of egging each other on to just make as much noise as as possible it was it was pretty feverish out there especially in the second set when it was nip and tuck between the two players but yeah I think that's that's a fantastic win for Onsjabur in the circumstances against a player as you said in Olga Danilovic who was playing really really well and full of confidence after after qualifying as well and just surging through the draw yeah and I'm so so pleased Ons has said that and hopefully players saying that can become more and more normalized as um as time goes on so Ons Jabeur through to face Bernarda Perra which I know sounds like a good draw on paper but she's she's tricky Mm, I think Pam Shriver certified her tricky mm. earlier this week when lefty when Donovekic lost to Pera lefty not not dissimilar to Danilovic mm. I would say maybe hits a bit flatter yeah sort of stiff but a good good ball striker mm. strong um but yeah the, the look the the draw is better for Jabeur being in it especially given the the blows that it suffered today in in terms of the fun that we covered in the top half of the exactly. draw. It, it, we we needed Jabir. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there were some moments of absolutely gorgeous inspiration from her that kept her in that match, quite frankly, because Danilovic had her, it felt like, for, mm. for some well, moments there. It was such a contest. Although we should have known, because <laughs> Reggie picked Danilovic. Bless him. <laughs> we're every, there is now a movement... Uh, for Reggie to pick Djokovic or Alcaraz or Sviantec just to see, just to test the Reggie curse. Yeah. Well and truly. Or, or to, sorry, to pick against one of those three. Yeah. And to see, sorry, no, to pick one of those three yeah, to, to win. Yeah, to see whether yeah. he can curse Novak Djokovic out of the tournament exactly. or Carlos Alcaraz or Igor yeah. Sviantec. Yeah, what is stronger? <laughs> 22 Grand Slams and counting or the curse of Reggie? Everybody wants to know. Uh, sign up to the newsletter to, to find out what Reggie does next. Um, we've already been through tomorrow's schedule, haven't we? We've done that with David. We've done our sort of midway uh, taking stock of the tournament. I think all there's left to do is to remind you that we have lovely Phoebe, our tournament mascot. We have our mascots. Maisie, Xenia and Darwin. I stole Nicholas Jarry from, from Matt today. So mm. uh, myself and Xenia didn't embarrass ourselves, but also can't really glory too much in the win because 
because we stole it from Matt. <laughs> and then I was all flustered. I didn't know what to do. I've been picking Nicholas Jarry at every available <laughs> opportunity. And of course, I got mine wrong. Oh, David did too, if that makes you feel any better. Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King. Head to our Instagram for some, in the words of Matt, in a, in a crowded field, possibly the cutest Billy Jean video mm. he'd ever seen. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> He's, uh, the video is on our Instagram. Uh, we have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah, Andrew, and... We don't have shout-outs because we don't think it would be right. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. to do shout outs without David I mean what if somebody comes up whose name sparks an anecdote from the 90s exactly we'll we'll never know what we would have missed exactly we wouldn't want anyone that has paid good money for a shout out to feel shortchanged by the lack of David Law so shout outs we'll be back tomorrow we will be back tomorrow and we'll speak to you then 